Hello listeners and welcome back to the Total Football Analysis Podcast. Our mission at TFA is to bring you the best analysis out there, not just by analysing the big leagues, but by looking at as many interesting teams as possible from a tactical point of view around the world, bringing you analytical content from all corners of the globe. Just this week, we published a wonderful piece looking at three Liga leaders, Elversberg, who are running away with the title in Germany's third division, using approximation of players and plenty of depth, a really fascinating insight into tactics from a team that are not widely available to the general public. We also published a piece on Egyptian giants Al-Ali under the former longtime Switzerland boss Marcel Koller and their interesting system, which will see them potentially lift their fourth league title in three years. But if that's not enough for you, we have analysis pieces looking at the biggest teams and the biggest games, like Jose Mourinho's Roma putting Juventus to the sword with a mean low block. There's something for everybody. But we think it's time that we do a podcast on how we analyse games of football, discussing the different ways that we analyse football, how to make analysis workflow better and sustainable, as well as differences between analysis work for clubs and when writing for phone or articles, etc. It should be an interesting discussion. To discuss the topics today, I will be joined by two TFA analysts, both working in different sections of the company, one focusing on tactical writing and the other playing a key role in our recruitment analysis department. I'm your host, Adam Scully. And I hope you enjoy the following episode. Before we begin, though, please make sure to rate the podcast five stars, hopefully. It's greatly appreciated and it helps us to grow the podcast and to get more and more excellent guests on and to get more and more ears on the podcast as well. So now, without further ado, let's get into the episode. Kyle, Bryant, welcome back to the TFA podcast. Kyle, I'll throw to you first. What's been in the pipeline for you in the last couple of days? I know I published a piece of yours yesterday. This is being recorded on Tuesday. Obviously, it was published on Monday. Tell me about the piece on Elversberg. Yeah. Um, they lost yeah, last published... week, by the way. Did they? Yeah, your fault. The famous, that's the famous, the famous <laughs> CFA curse. Um, every every single time. But yeah. no, yeah, it was a great piece. I really enjoyed researching and writing that. It's um, I've also published a threat on Twitter. Um, as well as the article, but mm-hmm. which is really, really fun to look at. There's a clear German um, identity in their playing style, but their their style of possession is, it's, I want to say it's very different to, to what you're used to seeing. Um, and then I also took a broader approach, both on the podcast we did, I think it was two weeks ago, um, just looking at some principles and some ideas that transcend phases. Um, you don't really have to break it down into each part of possession, each part, each phase, um, because it's you can see overarching themes and principles, um, which just makes for a nicer narrative, nicer analysis, cleaner. It's just more more fun to write. I really like the idea of clubs within a country sticking to their maybe cultural identity. And I know that kind of sometimes can have negative connotations outside of football, but just within football, you talk, I mean, in the article, you talk about approximation, you talk about depth as well. Depth, I found the most interesting in my opinion, because it's so, I mean, like constantly making those runs in behind and you can play over the top. It's not always on the floor. It's not always trying to be the the Dutch Spanish style. It's, it's quite German and, and and German football is notoriously quite direct. I hope I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not doing anyone the service there. I don't mean it's ugly. I mean, it just can be, there's nothing wrong with being direct. I mean, making runs in behind, I think it's beautiful. You look at, um, you look at like Klopp's Dortmund even, 
how many long balls mm-hmm. they played from the central defenders. I mean, Liverpool still do it with Van Dijk, those diagonal balls, but even then when they counter press, when it back the quick balls in behind, like I love all that yeah. rapid, quick football runs in behind and 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 Elvisberg certainly do that. And as you said, the TFA course struck again. I mean, actually it worked <laughs> it worked positively for me uh, last week. I wrote a piece on Criminese and they drew to Torino and then beat Roma for their first win of the season. So, oh, yeah. For once, it was positive. But the TFA course is real. Like, no joke. Yeah. No, like, let, let me tell you about Bahia. I didn't <laughs> Bahia. And I wrote I wrote the piece the same night I wrote the piece. They lost 6-0. And yeah. on the weekend before I published, they lost 4-0. So, into a team in the fourth division. It was just... And, you, and I did see you got a very angry uh, com- yeah. tweet from someone on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Oh, just, no. yeah. <laughs> anyway. Oh, absolutely. Brian, how have you been? You must be quite busy at the minute, obviously, on the recruitment side of Total Football Analysis. You haven't been writing pieces on the website. Yeah. Hello, Adam. Hello, Kyle. I'm really happy to be here again talking with you guys. And yeah, it's been like very, very long since <laughs> I like uploaded my last piece to the website, which was, I think, or a, a, a scout report about Nicola Rovella, maybe. Oh, I, I don't know. Oh, I'm not amazing, sure about but... that. Did, 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 yeah. There was. Oh, it might have been. Was that yeah, it might have been. But, I, but I've been wanting like to upload something there so it might come soon so yeah to the listeners if they, they like south american football and colombian football it might come something from there <laughs> well brian and Coyo, you both write like the i'll say the most obscure pieces on the site when i put pictures out i love obscure pieces myself and you guys always are willing to take them and obviously we have beth now as well beth beth Lim, she does that too she's brilliant and I love, I do love obscure pieces. Like, I mean, uh, Brian, do you remember you wrote about Fernando Torres? I think it was his under 19s. That's brilliant. Yeah. 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 I love all that. Um, for sure, I pitched that. And obviously, Kyle, you wrote about a, a German third division team as well and how well they are. They're brilliant. They're doing. I think the, I mean, well, the podcast today obviously is centered around analysis in general, which is literally what total football analysis is. It's, it's in the name of the website and the company. I think, like I said this to Kyle before we started recording, there's no, I want to put a disclaimer out there, that there's no right or wrong way to analyse a game of football. The way we analyse a game of football, you may not agree with, you may not find it useful, but that's okay, because ultimately there's no one way to analyse football, just like there's no one way to play football. Football is such a, an expansive sport, it's so... I mean, there's a million different factors. It's just, there's, I'm sure there's hundreds of different ways to analyze a game of football. And I mean, Kyle, even you working for clubs, like you said, you know, different different managers want different types of reports. Some want more detail. Some want less detail. Obviously, some want just a couple of key points, key tactical details. Some want extremely heavy. I think what we'll start off speaking about is just analyzing games. On our own for now, just for, for the site per se, we'll do we'll talk about a match analysis. I find doing one single match analysis, if I'm writing analysis of of a match for for the site and saying okay, like today we published, which is Tuesday, of course we published uh, Roma's one 0 victory over Juventus. Uh, that was done by Akela Kosh, and he 
of course, he but he wrote the piece. But my point is that when you analyze one match, you kind of you're obviously just sticking to that ninety minutes. When you analyze a team, you're talking about maybe three, four, or five games. Kyle, I'll throw to you first. What? I'll talk about actually the the the, the type of matches first you analyze. If you're doing a team analysis, what games are you picking out? Are you looking for a nice variety of matches of teams like so with Elversburg? Are you looking for just our last couple of matches, or are you looking for specific games? So maybe one against a top team, one against a relegation team, one against a team kind of around the mid table or something like that. Uh, I think there's a couple steps that I go through. I think the first one is staying somewhat recent um, mm-hmm. because I think I'm from the idea that teams build on things and they evolve or maybe not positively, but they change, they build on things. So yeah. I think staying somewhat recent, obviously if I'm doing analysis this week, I'm not going to take a game from September. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the first step. I think also what I look at is results. Um, maybe level of opposition, those tend to go hand in hand, but um, those also, because that will tell me a little bit more about how the game went and then the situations they might have been in, um, which gives me some sort of a variety. But one that I'm, that I all like always try to look out for, especially on my scout, I just have a quick look at the formations and if they've played a different formation or against a different formation, mm-hmm. I try not to have, if they play a 4 2 3 1 generally, I don't want to have a match against a 4 4 2, like a couple of matches against a 4 4 2. I want to kind of vary a little bit because. A match is one, it's 90 minutes, and it's heavily influenced by so many things, including the opponent. So variety, both in like level of opposition, how the match went, what situations they were in, and then also the other team's tactics. So it's just variety um, and getting a decent sample size so you can see different situations and how they react and if there are trends, if there are um, consistencies. Um, that, that's at least how I go about it in selecting uh, which matches to analyze. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I, I I do something similar, and I'm very particular about the games I pick out. I I don't just pick out the last three, four, or five matches because, well, I mean, like you can technically. I mean, you can you can still get a a, a good a good like I suppose mm-hmm. example of a way a team wants to play. I mean, Eric Laurie, who many people will know from Twitter, he. I think he was he was formerly I think I could be completely wrong here, but he was something along the lines of head of performance analysis for uh, Molde, and then now he's working for the U.S. men's national team. But he said to me before that you usually analyze. He said you probably get a good a good sample of how a team play within three matches, is what he said to me. Um, obviously, he's far more placed to make that statement than I would be, so I'm just telling you what he said to me. Um, Bryant, like, what about what about your pre-match? I suppose preparations. Then, when you're going to write a piece, you have picked out your games already. What else are you looking for that maybe Kyle or I missed out on? Yeah, I'm very much into the what Kaya does before, like taking a look at, at teams and and choosing matches and all that. Because mm. I try to look to the most recent matches because people just want like to read and to know how a team is playing right now and i'm really like but also i'm really like trying to see if they play in different contexts like um, i don't know a different formation as kyle said or if recently they play a top side and all that it, it, it's really important 
to put in the table that some teams play in different ways against top sides and play differently against I don't want to say like poor sides, but mm-hmm. obviously sides that they can, I don't know, if they want to be a possession-based team, they're going to do that against uh, poor sides and rather than big sides. Only like little clubs are, are very brave to do that. I don't know, like Brighton, that they are amazing. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> yeah, the, I, the first thing I, I, I do is I go to Wisecout and search for the team and look for the most recent matches. If like if they call my attention, I'm going with this those three matches. I really like to see to watch three or four matches. I'm always between that amount of games because I think if you put like a deep uh, attention to the game and to the match, you're going to have a lot of principles and patterns of the team mm-hmm. in that three or four matches and even more if if they're uh, different contexts i don't know if they go behind first or they concede in the last minutes those kind of things obviously uh, are part of the game and part of how a coach act in the sideline and, yeah. and all that but also you have to see like the initial plan that it, it, it's like the initial tactical plan it's the thing that people talk the most I think mm-hmm. it's very underrated what coaches do in the game so to like solve a match situation. So even watching like three or four matches, I think, and I don't know about you guys, it's more like, uh, I don't know, but it's, it's more tedious for me like analyzing a match rather than a, uh, a team because a match you have to cover like so many things in one piece in 90 minutes and obviously when you watch a team you're trying to like not getting too much deep into details so maybe a game it's like you, you get into a point that you're telling the story of a game and it's like no it, it's not like that just pointing well, okay here, things here, here, this is this brings me on to a really important point that i wanted to dis- discuss in the podcast by the way before we get onto this there is work getting done next door in my where I live. If it's picking up on the microphone, I am so so sorry. I'm uh, like I, I I mean I can't I can't change it. It's just really frustrating because of course they waited until I hit record uh, to start drilling holes into the wall. But anyway, <laughs> moving on. This brings me on to an important point about matches. I think it is important to analyze matches because ultimately, I mean, you have to. to but I think it's also really important to analyze context. I want to talk about punditry for a minute because it's a really hot topic at the moment, especially in the United Kingdom, especially with a certain blue and red broadcaster with former legends of teams. And you obviously know who I'm talking about and you know the exact pundits that I'm talking about. They've come under fire recently for some of the comments they've made. I mean, look, I I mean, there's no point beating around the bush. I'll name drop them because I really don't care. Um, Roy Keane said something along the lines of he saw it coming. Graham Souness said something along uh, along the lines of there was no progress made by Manchester United. Gary Neville called the Manchester United players pathetic and and embarrassing. Whatever, whatever, that's fine. But one thing that absolutely blew me away was the lack of context involved in analysing that single match. 
So they just, in my eyes, took that single match. And I, I'm interested to hear what you guys think. Uh, Kyle, I'll throw to you first on this. In my opinion, they just took this, this single match where Manchester United were heavily defeated. Heavily. It, and yes, it was embarrassing for the players. It certainly was a really, really poor performance at Anfield. But they just took the, without the context of the season, and kind of almost made it seem like Man United were fighting relegation, that they were that they hadn't just won 20-something games at the last 30. Um, and I find that really dangerous. I mean, even Roy Keane's, you know, Captain Hindsight, I call him, Roy Keane's analysis of, of labelling or saying that he saw it coming from Manchester United. No, you no, you didn't. There's not, a, there's not a single human on this planet that predicted that scoreline. Like, I think that was... I think it's really dangerous. What 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 state do you think punditry is in at, at the moment, Kyle? Because I almost feel like a lot of people are becoming more are becoming smarter tactically. They're become more becoming more knowledgeable tactically. They want to learn about tactics. They want to, you know, get more knowledge about that side of the game. And I feel like there's a lot of outlets and broadcasters that are holding that back. Would you agree with that, or do you disagree? Do you think it's more for them entertainment is the most important thing? Yeah, I agree. Um, I think it's 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 difficult to to judge and criticize because at the end of the day, it's nature. It's they are in the business of entertainment. They're in the business of clicks. And and when Sky Sports or whoever it may be posts a video, heated argument with all those emojis, obviously you get more yeah. clicks. So I think you have to accept, not even try to fight it because it will never change. I mean, they that's how they make the money. So. I think entertainment is something that is highly valued in those in those scenarios, and maybe whether it's the actual individual's decision or it's the company's, um, they will maybe take things out of context, they'll turn things into bigger things, they'll make unnecessary headlines for those clicks, for those, and it gets to the point where it's like they make they they know people get mad, so they do it on purpose for the angry comments, which generates engagement. Yeah. So I think accepting that and kind of getting away from that. Um, but speaking specifically about fo- football punditry and everything like that, there's an incredible hindsight bias. It's it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I grew up watching punditry in Brazil, and Brazil is probably one of the worst for it. Um, I think that it's difficult because the, the punditry, there's tactical. I mean, you have to remember that the game is mental, physical, technical and tactical. I think the tactical loses maybe the significance, some significance in punditry. Um, they are much more talking about the individual players, but they're good enough, where they're running enough. And I think I find myself guilty of that, especially when I started becoming more tactical, where I started not valuing those things that much. And when a pundit is saying, oh, he didn't work hard enough, he wasn't, I started saying, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. But in actuality, it, it, that still matters all, that much. So I think it's it's difficult because with the growing of tactical analysis and everything like that, we tend to maybe say they're not as evolved as we like to think people analyzing football should be, but it might not be that. And um, yeah, I think, so in conclusion, I think it's just, um, you have to remember that entertainment is a key factor. So a lot of things will get distorted. Um, a lot of analysis will be, will lose reality and, and maybe go into a bit more narrative kind of world, but false narr- narratives especially. But yeah, I think 
punditry is, is is a tough one because there's so much, so many more influences than just what happened on the pitch. Um, so yeah, and obviously nobody wants to look stupid. Um, so if that oh, means being man. hypocritical or or forgetting <laughs> they said something, it happens. I mean, maybe they don't want to look stupid, but some of the claims they make kind of would, would stray far from that notion. It's actually, Kyle, it's a really good point you make though about you know talking about the kind of the 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 mental element of the game and you know we kind of laughed at the passion and desire element almost when you start looking at the game more tactically you believe that everything boils down to that and i was like you i was completely guilty of this in the past and 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 it's not the case like i mean you look at uh, the man united game on sunday obviously the horrific showing at anfield so like apart from maybe the fourth goal where Liverpool carved Man United open, there was so such a mental element to that game as to why Manchester United crumbled. Yeah. In terms and of I when they conceded the tour, they kind of just, just fell apart and, and you could see they were just kicking players and they were they lost their heads and that's mental, that's not tactical. Yeah, and there's a, there's a clip going around that it's, it's, I believe Trent beats Bruno Fernandes and Bruno and just, just throws him. his hands in the air. No, he throws his hands in the air, stops oh, yeah. him, tracking back and yeah. he just stands there. And I think... That's what makes the seven zero. That's what makes it seven zero. It's not. It could have stopped at two zero. It could have stopped at three zero. But yeah, um, you. I think they do have some the pundits have some right and and criticizing the players for that because uh, maybe they lost sight of the club. It's more than just losing. It's seven zero. That's historic. That's yeah. it's embarrassing. It's so much beyond that that you can't just throw your hands in the air, stop running. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think while we like to say punditry is often like so many negative things about it, but I think saying they don't work hard enough, it, it's not always wrong to say. Yeah. No, it's not always wrong to say, and that's a, a completely fair point to make. Um, actually, you did mention as well about the, the hindsight bias that's in punditry at the minute, and I fully agree. And someone you wrote about recently, and you know very well, is Juan Malilo, and he. I believe in the article for the Athletics said something along the lines of, and I'm I, I'm probably misquoting him here, but I'm paraphrasing. He said something like, "Everyone's a genius after the fact," or something like that, which is one of my favorite lines and something I'll always remember, even if I don't fully remember what he said. But it was something along them lines, like everyone's after the game, everyone's a genius. Oh, I could have saw this coming. Oh, this 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 should have happened. They should have done this and this. Whereas, I mean, Rafael Benitez said before, I remember on, on Sky Sports as well. Actually, he's never lost a game at a tactics board. In his mind, before the game, when he's planning a match, he always wins. And it's true. Because before the game, you think everything's perfect. But then after the game, in hindsight, yeah, you got it wrong. But you have to just kind of wait until after the fact. But again, as you said, in punditry, it's such a hindsight bias. Anyway, we, we will move on to actually looking at games in depth and analysing matches. Brian, I'll, tra- I'll, I'll, I'll come to you on this first. David Cellini, who was a former guest on the podcast, spoke about, I mean, he's, he's now IFK Varnamo's assistant coach, a fantastic coach. He used to actually be a TFA tactical writer. He spoke about analysing matches, and I asked him his kind of his methods. He said he, he looks at the first half of games only. Is that something that you think is something you do yourself in your own analysis work, or do you think there's an element to the second half that you need to analyze. And, and by the way, before I, I, I let you answer, I let you answer, I need to make a clarification because the listeners want to understand obviously why he doesn't analyze the second half. He doesn't analyze the second half because 
the second half is where things are most stretched, where the most substitutions happen. And obviously, tactically, things break down more so. I mean, it usually does after the 60-minute mark. Subs are being made. The game's quite stretched. It becomes scrappy. You see it all the time. Whereas in the first half, it's where you see the most tactical detail because that's where that's when teams are prepared all week. They're, it's fresh in their minds. And then a halftime is where changes are made if things go wrong from the first half. But Brian, talk to me about your thoughts and on that about analyzing the second half. Do you think it's worthless, or do you think there's 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 a reason why you should always analyze the second half? No, for me, for me, it's valid. Like analyzing uh, like that, like only watching first halves and all that. I'm not that like that into it, but I don't know about you guys, but it's sometimes it feels like you're in the 75 or 70th minute. And you're watching the game and you're saying like, okay, so I, I'm kind of losing my time because the, the game has completely became other game. And it's like yeah. if a team is winning 1-0, 2 the other team is going to like be in a very high block, mm-hmm. just moving and sending cross and sending cross and sending cross and all, all, all these kind of things. You know, obviously... The second halves for me are important in the game because I think it's the most important uh, part, the mental part of a team in the in the second halves. So the game is ending. You can be behind. You can be winning. So you have to maintain or come back the game. So it, it, it's very important how the players act in that way. And it's I think a key thing we forget sometimes. You know, like. We are so deep into tactics and we forget the elements that are doing this possible are play- players and coaches and they are humans. You know, mm-hmm. and it, it's obvious the mental part is a key factor there and players can be players can be so good against a rival team that are like shouting at him and all that or, or they can be bad they can be nervous and all that so it's important and in the second half for me the games are broken and then we can talk about that mental part so so uh like very much because in in, in the second half so many things can happen in the game like it, so much substitutes formation change and players that come in may be confused so it's it's important sometimes to see that kind of things the teams does when a plan doesn't come, doesn't go to, like, doesn't go correctly and all that. But I think the first half of always are going to, like, show yourself, obviously, the initial plan of both teams, but yeah. the patterns and the principles more clear because... It, this can happen in every match in, in, in football right now. In, in the first minute of the match, some team just leave the ball to the other and one creates with the ball and the other waits to the counter. He can, they can wait in different ways, like mm-hmm. high block, mid block. But in the first half, for me, obviously the players are, uh, they have the energy tank full. They have so many stamina to play and to defend and to attack at every moment. So for me, it's, it, it, I agree with David Salini. It's the most important thing in football 
have like do that like download the first half and all that because i i really like to download the matches and mm-hmm. watch them completely as well to like watch a match and because i, I don't know I, i'm a football fan as well so i just want to watch a football game analyze it as well so i yeah. yes i agree with the point but i don't do that so <laughs> yeah i i i i understand but i think when you said obviously we're football fans it is true but I think you both can relate to this, that when you analyze a game tactically, whether it be for an article or for a club, it stops. You you you, you don't have a, a, a fan hat on. You know what I mean? Yeah. You kind of look at things more analytically and you, and you, I suppose, if the game is starting to get stretched and scrappy, it can be really frustrating to watch. And, and just before yeah. I, I, I throw to you, Kyle, um, I think... Regarding the second half of games, I do like to watch the first 15, 20 minutes mainly after it because you can see different changes that have been made. Because if things go wrong in the first half from a team, they'll make the change for the second half and then you see what's different. I mean, there's a, a number of clubs in the world right now that are that's so prevalent for, including Manchester United, who, <laughs> apart from Sunday, are, are, are notoriously better in the second half, where... Ten Hag can make the changes and then they'll implement them in the second half. Kyle, what are your thoughts on that? I yeah, I just want to point out. I think what David especially was trying to say is that maybe the second half isn't as important in yeah. tactical analysis, not actually in football. And you can mm-hmm. tell that to Pep Guardiola in that Real Madrid semi final because that that Rodrigo, those couple goals, they have nothing to do. There's no, it's worthless to sit there and try to tactically peg that apart. Mm-hmm. But you, you can't say like you can't say that's not important because well, that's Real Madrid's take it to the final. So it's just a, it's just when we say I just want to maybe clarify that when we say it's for tactical analysis when you're looking at it tactically and analyzing the game, but it's in full and like Brian just said, it's in the second half. It there's so many other things that take over that maybe it doesn't become as um important i guess uh, meaningful to analyze it but it's yeah. still very important and just football as a whole oh yeah i fully agree that's a, a great clarification i actually probably should have clarified that myself i don't mean that the second half is not important in football and should bin it off and nothing happens in the second half because of course that's not true some of the most exciting moments in football history have happened in the second half from last minute winners of course as well and as kyle said that game against real madrid in the champions league was i mean city were what four or five minutes from a final and with a two goal lead or something and within two minutes they were they were put into extra time it was incredible but um so yeah it is important that we when we say that the second half is less important we mean tactically not in terms of the mental side of the game or the actual quality side because the mental side tells you as as brian touched on as well the second half tells you so much about character things that tactics it does that don't matter in tactics, I suppose, as much. They tell you things like a player's character, which is unbelievable, I suppose, for scouting. It's probably better for scouting than than tactical analysis. Brian, let's break down an actual the actual process then of analyzing a match. What are you looking for? You know, that there's I suppose the most common method is the most common method of breaking games down is the usual like build up second phase, third phase, final third phase, obviously, and then you have the, the low block, mid block, high block, transitions, corner set pieces, whatever. That, that, that's how you break it down. But then, as Kyle, I'll throw to you on to touch on, Carlos Cobran had a really good uh, uh, presentation recently that many people have watched where he kind of talks about how every phase 
has to run into each other. But I'll, I'll, I'll more on that later. Brian, I'll talk to you about your process first. How are you breaking down the game into its different elements? Yeah, I, I think when you're learning, and by saying this doesn't mean I, I'm not learning in this moment, but when you're starting in, in the analysis, in the tactical analysis world, in the scouting world and all that, you try to separate all into that blocks, maybe into that phases mm -hmm. to try and make it easy for you. But when you're uh, watching games and watching games and every time, you know that you have to explain some patterns that really doesn't mean like, I don't know, this always happened in the second phase, you know, because if a team only have a plan A to create and to progress into the final third, it's going to be so predictable on the pitch. So I really like how I evolved recently into a person that analyzed like so much patterns into the game. I really love to see principles and how the players move and how they like uh, communicate on the on the field, not by talking or, or anything like that, but with the ball and with their movements. I mean, uh, I remember now that my last piece was about Braga by Arthur Jorges. Yes, so, Arthur yeah, that's so, correct. So in that piece, I really love um, how they move, uh, how they detect spaces and how they create that spaces between the strikers and the attacking midfielders, which are wingers, uh, inverted wingers. So I, I really like to put that in the piece because it was so important for them, those kind of moves. And that is not something like to go and to break it like third phase. Okay, here they try to know they, it's patterns and it's communication between the players and space detection and all that. So I really like to, I really like to talk about patterns rather than putting like a subtitle like first phase or build up mm -hmm. or like mid block or, or th these kind of things. I really like to talk about patterns throughout all the piece and in football, you know, because in the moment you enter a game and I'm right now a, a coach in an amateur team and the moment you enter the game, it all has changed. Like, it's not like you're going to talk about a mid-block. You're going to talk about patterns and principles. You know, like this fullback is doing this and he defends like this and all that. So it's the kind of things you have to watch. For me in a game, it's the most important thing to talk about patterns. And I don't know about Caio. I don't think he's very much into Spanish media or Hispanic um, like analysis. They break this very much into it, into formations and into faces and all that, and not much into patterns. You know, they're trying to explain like, okay, let's explain the 4 2 3 one of, I don't know, let's Everton. Let's put that, an example like that. It's not real, but let's put an example. So they're trying to break down the 4 2 3 one of Everton. And I really want to see, uh, they, today, so they talk about patterns. Mm -hmm. You know, like, uh, let's talk about, uh, I don't know, the hybrid press of Brentford, for example, something that Thomas Frank has talked about as well. Well, we so did a whole podcast the, on this only two yeah, weeks ago when we talked about formations. That's the, kind of thing, that's the kind of thing I really like to 
analyze and like to read as an analyst that's obviously looking for content to learn and to just keep watching how people analyze and to just bring things to me, you know? Yeah, uh, and I mean, you touched on uh, Kyo hating Spain. <laughs> hating Spain. Uh, no, he hates positional play. And Guardiola, there's a big difference. Oh, I'm only joking. Kyle loves all kinds of football. <laughs> Kyle, you, in your most recent piece, mentioned a certain Spanish coach while we're talking about Spain, Carlos Corbran, and you spoke about Elversberg's ability to kind of transcend phases of the game. This is what, this is something that interests me because often when we analyse matches or analyse parts of the game, we talk about, say something like a, uh, low block, mid block, high block. There are parts in between that. So even things like when a team are pressing high and the press is broken, what happens then? And but, but people have a tendency to just say what they do in the press, then what they do in the mid block. But my point is, how do they get to the mid block? Did they were they you know were they quick when the press is broken? How did they they recover the shape, etc.? And then obviously when we're talking about transcending phases, as you'll explain better here. Carlos Corbran was talking about the idea of, you know, when you're defending, you've got to have the idea to attack. So talk us through that then. Yeah. Um, I think, let me just go through my, so I think my journey in analyzing is quite interesting because like Brian said in the beginning, if you go to my first pieces, it was very systematic. It was build up, progression. And mm-hmm. one of my first, I remember one of the key I don't want to say documents, I guess, resources that I really like got into tactics was Andrea Pirlo's thesis for the UEFA Pro. Yeah. And that was basically his game model. And in there, I am, it's been a couple of years since I read it, but I'm pretty sure he broke it somewhat into thirds. And there were principles that he wanted to do in the buildup. But then if you look at it, there, some of these principles go into the final third or the progression. And I think, Obviously, and that's what I used to do in the beginning. I used to break it down and then identify some principles and examples in each one. But then as I went on, and I think my last piece is probably the best I've ever done, um, it's combining things and it's putting them in one. It, it's not needless, but it may be that you're not, you're wasting a little bit of time just focusing on the buildup where you could be focused on a principle specifically. Um, and I think... Principles, obviously, you can have those more sub-principles, which are like the third man runs or creating those triangles or whatever it may be. But then I think my last one, I mentioned verticality, and we were speaking about this in the beginning of the podcast, and it's not necessarily direct passing lines. It is accelerating the tempo. It's carrying the ball into space. It's attacking the space without the ball. It's a lot of things. It's, mm-hmm. uh, so do, those would be the sub-principles, but it's a lot of things that make up this principle of verticality, this intensity, which in Elversburg, it translated from defensively. They had a high press. They had a they were attacking space. They created those vertical scenarios with their high press. Um, and then obviously into possession with attacking space, accelerating play, the high to higher tempo. Um, so, yeah, I think – I think – it's not one or the other. I think if you break it down into build-up progression, you you find some overlapping principles. It's just that some some of those would be sub-principles. And you can, if you take a step further, you can probably combine a lot of those um, into one. And I think it's important for a team. I remember um, somebody in the in TFA, it must have been last 
one or two years ago wrote about the importance importance of transitioning between phases. So you you had possession, transition to defense, transition to possession. It's your transition from possession to transition to defend or you know what I mean? Like so it's between the four phases, your transition between each four phase, not using one of them as the transition. So I think it's just combining everything and you're looking at the next one before you even get there. And that comes with overarching principles and everything like that. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a, a wonderful explanation. Actually, it's probably a better explanation than I could give. What interests me about what you said and what something kind of stuck with me that I want to ask you now, Kyle, is you have a way of keeping people engaged in an article. But you also said that when you, I mean, a while back now when you were first starting writing, you'd maybe focus on things that you shouldn't have focused on. I feel like a lot of people get bogged down on the wrong details because ultimately a lot of teams play the same way. And that's not an insult. It's just a fact. A lot of people build up the same way and they have different players and different qualities, which makes it more interesting. But if we're just talking about shapes, there's only really a certain kind of, I mean, when you're playing out from the goalkeeper, there's only a certain manner in which you can do that. There's only a certain few ways you can do that. So how do Football's you was eleven players against eleven players in the same yeah. size pitch? Yeah, exactly. And but like so many times I read threads on Twitter or even pieces, and I've mentioned this before to people. Obviously, I edit all the pieces that go out on TFA and I've mentioned it to writers before. They get bogged down sometimes in the wrong details. They're focusing doing a whole thing on the build up. And I'm like, if there's nothing interesting about it, don't talk about it. Because just you can make a quick comment and say they do this and build up. We get it. Like we can envision that in a sentence. I don't need a full section on it. With my IX piece I published on Saturday under John Heitinger, I wrote a whole section on build up. And the reason I did is because they're far more direct in build up this time than under Alfred Schroeder, which actually helps them a lot. So that was to me more interesting because I compared it to Schroeder and then you look at now under more direct and happy days. But I think sometimes if you're talking about a team and the build up, you can just say, oh, well, they build up in this manner and they want to play through the six, and I'm like, well, everyone does. Okay, not everyone, but mo- most teams would. So how do you how do you ensure that you're not getting bogged down on the wrong details when you're writing an article as opposed to analysing something for a club or, or for just on Twitter, etc.? Because articles are, are harder because there's a lot of writing and you need to keep the reader engaged. Yeah, I think entertainment, I think, or keeping them engaged, it's it's a big factor. And I think not getting bogged on the wrong details makes for a better narrative overall. So you can maybe, you're looking at the whole piece and it makes it for a more engaged piece because I, I and I love doing this. I love when I get to maybe two thirds into the article and I relate it back to something I spoke about earlier. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of my favorite things to do. And it's, it. I prove to myself that I'm on the right track that I'm analyzing it well when I when I'm able to link things to things I've said before, um, and it's just get not getting like you said not getting paying attention to the wrong details. Um, I think the build up is a perfect example. I remember looking at Argentina before the World Cup, and their build up was important. I think in that finalissimo against Italy, mm-hmm. um, their approximation and all of that, it was so it was almost to attract Italy to press high. And then launch those trans- transition scenarios. So I think in examples like that, you have to look at the build up because it's essential to how they play. Um, and then yeah, it's just it's just not getting on the wrong details and and 
because you you waste time and you waste the readers and and they they'll be reading it and going well I don't you know I lost you kind of lost me there so and I think the club I've obviously started working for a club recently and I think it's provided me a, a different perspective um obviously with pieces you want to kind of have a narrative you want to kind of make maybe note more style um more how does that relate to culture or whatever which I have but in club, that's obviously not needed. The manager needs to know how do they play. And he doesn't need to know the details because something that happened, it may be just something that happened because of that sequence, because of that exact, like it's it's random, it's chance. You don't need to know that. So mm-hmm. I think working for a club has made me more aware of, there's a big difference between writing analysis for a manager who's going to prepare his team right, than writing for, a, for for Twitter or whatever it may be. Um, for an audience, which then you can engage and and I don't need to engage the manager. I just need to tell him what he needs to know. Um, so it's just there's a difference in there, and that's that's really important. That's so true. And I mean, when you talk about engagement, it's, it's a really good point because when you're writing an article, you ha- and it's something I'm always aware of. You got to keep me engaged, even when I'm editing pieces. I got to be engaged because there's nothing worse than and I said this to someone before as well. If you're writing an article, I want to feel like you've written it i want to feel like you're telling me about it and keeping me engaged and you're you're being yourself you're making funny you know quirky jokes it doesn't have to always be so so you know like it researched and obviously it is researched but it doesn't need to seem like a, a an article on google scholar you know what i mean so whereas you said with clubs you don't have to keep the manager engaged that's so true he, he needs to understand the key points you're trying to make he's not you don't need to make funny quirks with him you know yeah brian the last thing we want to discuss is the future of tactical analysis. This is something I'm personally extremely interested in. John McKenzie from Tifa Football did a podcast with Modern Soccer Coaching and Gary Cornyn recently, I believe, well, I, I say recently, I think it was maybe before Christmas, maybe November around that. Really good, really good um, podcast if if. You're listening to this. Go listen to it afterwards. Wait till I wait till we're finished. Go listen to it afterwards. But it is a really good podcast. John mentions something about analysts being so overloaded with work that they have no time for personal development of their skills. And what he meant by that meant by that is so many analysts just kind of. I don't know. I hate using the word sheep because it has such awful right wing connotations, but he's, they're almost kind of like sheep where they all analyze the game the same way and they're just constantly churning it out and they don't get a break and they don't have time to work on their skills. I don't want to ask you whether you agree or not with that point, I, I, because ultimately, as I said, go listen to John's explanation for it. I want to ask you, though, what is the different methods then that you can use to tactically analyze a game because or maybe not the different methods kind of the different maybe the the ways in the future we can all you know look to do it i mean whether it be just fully data driven or or things like that you know which i don't personally agree in but but even like um well yeah sorry so i'll I'll answer that first and then I'll, i'll ask you the next question yeah i think it it Football is becoming like a very automatic thing with the data-driven style and all that. I'm not completely into it. Like, I love that data and all that. I think it's a very great tool for 
for all the scouts and, and analysts to look forward to, mm-hmm. I don't know, like to maybe search a player, maybe search if some patterns at teams repeat. So you watch three matches, but you want to look at the data and the data says to you, like, yes, they, they have me playing the same. So it's good. That, for me, that's good. But it's something like I really see like analysts so deep into data maybe so for me you have to watch football and you have to watch players and you have to watch teams maybe this kind of things of analysts doesn't have a personal time to to like grow into yeah. their skills it, it could be real you know it, it mm-hmm. could be real but for me it's like 50-50 because for me, watching football is one of the main things, like watching constantly, so constantly, is the main things that grow you into a better level of understanding. But then the other 50% of this, and it's something that I'm living right now, is that is there is no better experience for an analyst, a scout, assistant coach, head coach and everything that being on the on the grass with your players talking with other humans other people about tactics and learning how to guide the player into that so you have to leave that kind of experience you know you you start to watch the things so completely different when you're out on the field and all that so i kind of understand the point but for me, it's still like 50 50 in, in, in this point. Mm-hmm. And but, but even Kyle, like even kind of touching on Brian's point or, or kind of you know improving on Brian's point, that, that wasn't the correct word, but anyway, I can't think of the word now. Um, you, you obviously are a big fan of functional play and, and the kind of football that Fernando Dean is plays, his Fluminense team plays, and even when we talk about analysts and the way they analyze the game, when I look at the way I analyze the game, I don't have the tools to analyze a team like Fluminense, like Fernando Dinez aside, in terms of when I look at a build-up to how they play in the middle and then progress to the final third, because we're so used to that kind of, and we touched on this before a couple of weeks ago on a podcast about how we're so used to the European style that analysis has driven themselves to kind of suit that. Whereas when you start moving away from that into a more functional style, you kind of lose that a little bit. You lose the ability to, to implement your analysis skills into a team like Fluminense or, 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 or any side that are remotely functional in that sense. How do you, I mean, do you agree with that or do you think that, I mean, like, ultimately, there's no right or wrong way to analyse a game of football, but my point about analysts not being able to grow their own or to develop their own skills, it means that, like, you we- you won't know really whether analysing something differently. So if I'm analysing uh, Adina's side, it's completely different than when I'd be analysing the Manchester City but I wouldn't be able to know which style is better, which suits the manager more, which suits the players. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think everybody, analyst, player, coach, 
needs to have a soul in football. That's going back to that sheet point, maybe. And it's much easier to just go through the motions and you're analyzing this, but you, you have to always take a step back and think for yourself and, and have that taste and that, that, that you have to consider aesthetic and everything like that. And it just keeps fo football from being so one dimensional and one thing. But anyway, going, going to the, what you've just said, I think John McKenzie had a, fantastic article it was on medium i believe uh, this was just before christmas or maybe just after where he mentioned that analysts we, we're always trying to look at football and what it can tell us or rather what we can tell i forgot I, i'm forgetting but i think it's something along the lines of is there's a two-way we must yeah, understand yeah, yeah. that there's a two-way uh flow of information so what football can tell us and what we can tell it so we're not always trying to impose or um, ideas and our stuff like that and it's also also what it's trying to tell us and i think the functional the functional play provokes that a little bit it, it kind of lets you go or removes you from that sense mm -hmm. of what, what are you trying to implement to football it's more of what is it trying to produce on its own that yeah, you have I mean, to maybe learn from that yeah and it teaches you almost to kind of start focusing more on the individuals as opposed to the collective and that's so yeah. different to what we're used to yeah, and I think that's where I've I've been able to develop, and it, it began by exploring different styles and and doing that. But I just, I mean, my my progression, I from, and I tend to reflect a lot as I used to view it so black and white. It was just ta analysis and tactics and whatever. When when I started looking at this these styles, and when I really started looking at different styles, approaches, culture, everything like that. Then I started considering more everything else in football, mm -hmm. the mental, the physical, um, the technical um, culture, it, it, just all of those things. And um, it, I think that's a journey that we all, we can't just be black or clock in, clock out. We analyze the game. What do they do? Okay. We, we have to think, we have to develop ourselves. We have to look at the game in different senses and, and different perspectives, everything. And it's, football that's the beauty of it it's that you're never going to stop learning there's no you're not going to reach somewhere you're like mm -hmm. okay i'm done um it's infinite it's it's incredible there's so many things that can arise from football so it's just maybe let go of trying to understand it and conquer it and just accept what it is and, and that's i think a key development for analysts it's, it's to view the game as maybe something not or something alive rather than something you're trying to control that's a really philosophical way, I think, to end the podcast. It's a great point, <laughs> and I couldn't have, I, I couldn't have said yeah. it that well, but it's a good it's a good way to end the podcast, and I want to say a massive thank you to Kayo and Brian for coming on the podcast yet again. Uh, I hope you all enjoy at home as well, and make sure to tune in on Monday for another episode of the TFA Scouted Podcast with Brian and I. Also, make sure to rate the podcast too and share it with your followers, friends, and family, as it really helps us to grow. Thank you all for listening and goodbye for now.